Um, last week, I uh, copied uh, Tommy Tommy's email list, and I had some problems setting it up this time. So I went out and set up a group called Summer's Wednesday Night Class. Um, did anybody not receive some emails this week? If if you did, if you did not, see me after class, and we'll we'll see about that. Okay. Um, as far as announcements tonight, um, sympathy is extended to John Ross and his family in the passing of his mother-in-law, Billy Day, um, who died this morning. Um, funeral will be Saturday at one o'clock in Nashville. Um, Please note, Christmas and New Year's Day both fall on Wednesday this year, so there will be not be a midweek devotional at the building uh, either of those weeks. And the holiday dinner boxes should be returned um, no later than this Sunday. Um, please mark your calendars for the uh, No Debt, No Sweat seminar by Steve Diggs. Uh, January 19th and 20th, um, milk, uh, December 13th, milk and cookies with Santa. It's planned in the AC starting at 6 p.m. Uh, please contact Carolyn Prestige uh, if you can help with the cookies. Children may wear pajamas. <coughs> Doesn't say anything about us. Oh. Um, Elders and Deacons meeting at 3.30, December 15th. Uh, December 15th, also the last day to return the holiday dinner boxes. And the truck pickup is scheduled for Southern Christian Home on December 17th. Uh, We need to remember Karen Kidd bruised her ribs and pulled several muscles from a fall she took last week. Helen Arnold has greatly improved and sends her appreciations for Everyone's prayers. Micah Sexton, former member, has been in ICU at Baptist for several weeks with serious health conditions. Please keep him and his family in your prayers. And Sue Blanton, uh, Mary Hughes' sister, had a total knee replacement this morning at UAMS. Would you bow with me, please? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity we have to come and study a portion of thy word. Be with us as we we study that we might apply it to our lives and and be better servants unto you. Father, we ask a special prayer for those just mentioned, uh, John Ross and his his family and the passing of his mother in law. Uh, we pray for Karen Kidd, Helen Arnold, Micah Sexton and Sue Blanton. Be with them, be with the doctors that administer unto these that are sick. We know there are others that need our prayers, and we ask a special prayer for them. Forgive us for our sins in Christ's name. Amen. I want to do a little bit of uh, finishing up some of uh, uh, the introduction part. Uh, so, ready for the next slide. I think that uh, we need to understand why Rome persecuted the Christians. Um, Rome did not understand the difference uh, between a spiritual uh, 
kingdom, in an earthly kingdom. Christian preachers spoke of the destruction of all things, and the sudden appearance of Christianity made government leaders nervous. Christianity was intolerant. And on the next slide, Christianity was exclusive. Christians were obstinate. And Christians were considered atheists. Christians were blamed for every catastrophic prejudice, uh, seldom listens to reason, reason one. What do you think about Christians being obstinate? Are we? Sorry? Can be? Should we be? I'm sorry? No. I I think that the obstinate is that we stand firm in our belief. Yes, we should be. Are we intolerant? What's it? I I don't know if intolerant and obstinate may be the same, but I think the the problem is, and it's how we deal with people with love. Are we, you know, are we stubborn to the fact that uh, we are going to offend someone offensively. I think we have to offend people when we stand up for the truth, but I think the biggest thing is that, you know, we do it with love. Yes? Yes. I can remember as growing up as a small child in the 50s and 60s, don't date me, um, but, you know, we have the reputation of we're the only church going to heaven. And that's a lot of, uh, that probably has offended a lot of people, but I think that if we turn it around and say, if you do things that are in the Bible the correct way, then, you know, you, you can go to heaven. So it's, it's how we present it. We have to tell, um, you know, the truth and teach the Bible. But, so, <clears throat> I think it's interesting, too, that Rome uh, considered them atheist, and I think the reason being is that the Roman Empire considered the emperor a god, and if you didn't worship the god, their god, then you were considered an atheist. Christianity 
was and is exclusive. Is it? Should it be? I think it's uh, y'all are exactly right that we're exclusive in that we're not going to worship with somebody that worships an error, right? I'm I'm talking the Lord's church per the Bible. Okay, and there's nothing nothing wrong with that, is there? That we worship uh, the way we are told in, in the Bible. Uh, on the next slide, and on your outline, uh, why Rome fell. Uh, there's a little paragraph there about uh, Ray Summers um, and how he. Uh, uh, talked about the the natural calamity, the inter, internal decadence, decadence, and outside invasion. Um, what do you think about that first one? The rapid increase of divorce, the undermining of, of the dignity and sanctity of the home, which is the basis of human society. That was part of. Rome's failure as they started relaxing their family the family traditions and everything. Number two is higher and higher taxes and the spending of public money for free bread and circuses for the populace. Number three is pleasure, the mad craze for pleasure. Sports becoming every year more exciting and more brutal. Number four, the building of gigantic armaments armaments when the real enemy was within uh, by the people. And then the fifth reason is the decay of religion. Are we seeing that repeated? My biggest problem that I have is we study history to learn about past mistakes. And then we see this happening again over and over. If you look at each civilization that has come and gone, uh, part of this was all of that. And... Keep, in, keep those, these factors in mind as we uh, go through and pursue our study of Revelation. Um, so I want to talk now about the next, the next slide, please, on what are symbols. What do you think of, what does the word symbol mean to you?
I'm sorry. Okay, something a rep, uh, an icon that represents something else. A symbol is the noun form of a compound Greek word which combines sun, pronounced soon, and meaning uh, with and to throw. So that which is thrown with. So if you throw us, uh, put a symbol out there, uh, and I, I sent you all uh, a list of symbolisms uh, from the, a comparison of the symbolisms from the Old Testament in Revelation, such as the creation and the fall, the patriarchs, and Moses and the Exodus. So <clears throat> those are some for you to look at and to, to study as you, as you read through, um, as you read through Revelation and study Um, let's look at seven symbols, uh, seven examples of symbolism. Um, <clears throat> the book of Revelation conveys its uh, message through symbols, and one must interpret it accordingly. There's there's two ways that we can look at the different symbols in Revelation. And the first one is when a symbol is giving, like in the first chapter, when he talks about the seven lamp, lamp post, and he compares that and says that that is the seven churches. And then later, uh, there might be another symbol and we have to look at that symbol as interpreted that it is not contrary to another passage. The, the biggest example that I can tell you is the Jehovah Witness believe that only 144,000, they take it literally, what Revelation says, that 144,000 are all that's going to uh, go to heaven. And that is totally contrary to the apostles' teaching that it's based on how we live and that all saints uh, will, be, will go to heaven. So we have to... There's a contradiction of how it's interpreted and how it's used in other, other lessons. So one of the most important ways we can be helped by, is by knowing the Old Testament and what the symbols were in the Old Testament. And that's that page that I sent you. Um, the other thing is we have to, uh, regarding figurative language, we have to avoid pressing the, the figure too far. Look at the big picture. The primary message of what uh, John is writing about. And then examine the details to see if they added anything to the message. Uh, 
and then come back to the big picture. And that's realistically how we should study uh, the New Testament or the Bible, is you look at the big picture, look at the meaning of it, and then go back and look at it in the context of what's being written. Never base a major doctrine on an obscure passage. Never interpret it, interpret a figurative passage in such a way that it contradicts plain teaching elsewhere. And then the meaning of the figure of speech can, can change. Through history, we've seen how words have changed. The meaning of the words have changed. So we have to look at it in the period of the first century Christians in what they said. Look at, uh, well, go to uh, slide number 12, please. Here we see three different passages that I gave you. Uh, Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God. And in 1 Corinthians 4, 6, that we should be aware of going beyond or adding to God's Word. And we've always accepted the fact that we don't add to or take away from God's Word, the same as Revelations 22, 18 and 19. So this is how we should understand the symbols and look at the symbols that are in Revelation, compare the symbols to what was said in the Old Testament. We've got to realize that the first century church was first given to the Jews, and the, the Jews were indoctrinated in, in the Jewish history and how the priest uh, controlled everything and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And so this was a total change of the concept of religion going from the Jewish law to the Christian age. And so we have to be careful there. Let's look at seven examples of symbolism. And the first one is the rainbow. What does a rainbow symbolize? Okay. Okay. A sign of promise from God. Uh, we see the reference in rainbows in various forms, including being, ca uh, being called a, a bow in the clouds. So we can interpret the rainbow as a covenant between God and man that he is not going to destroy the world by water again. So if you look at Genesis 28, 11 through 13, and John 1 through uh, 1, 51, while staircases can sometimes appear dawning in life, they can easily serve as a connection between two spaces. What's one of the 
biggest stairways that we remember from studying the Old Testament. I'm sorry? Um, okay, I mean, that's one thing, but Jacob's ladder, that while he was dreaming, and it opened up. So that was the comparison that I was looking for. Um, we can think of Jesus waiting, uh, waiting on us at the top of the stairs, having paved the way to follow him and enter into the kingdom of God. I think another of the examples is white hair, uh, Daniel 7-9 and Revelation 1-14. Many figures in the Bible are featured as old and certainly experienced, Abraham, Jacob, and Moses to name a few. Their white hair merely underscores their wisdom and insightful judgment gained uh, throughout their lives. How did... Abraham grow at, during his lifetime? How did Jacob grow during his lifetime? And then how did Moses grow through his lifetime and the wisdom that they had? The three of them, they spoke directly with God or through angels. And so... <clears throat> they were able to expand, expand, expound to other people. So, <clears throat> when you think of white hair, what do you think of? Age and experience? Okay. What's the picture that we see of... What's the picture of, of what we see of God? How do we see, how is God portrayed sometimes? Burning bush? Okay. But what about not in the Bible? Secular man. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, I, I just, I have a hard time accepting that. Um, but, you know, we see, if you remember the movie The Ten Commandments and how Moses, at uh, his age, you know, how he uh, matured and had the long white beard and the, the long white hair uh, when he uh, gave his mantle to, to Joseph. So that's the, the picture that we have of, uh, through, the, through the Bible of people with white hair. What about the rock? How is uh, a rock a symbol to us? I'm sorry? Okay. On this rock I will build my church. Okay. Moses. Okay. 
strength, solid cornerstone, solid foundation. And I think that you're right that when Jesus said upon this rock, I will build my church. Look at uh, Psalms 18.2, if you would. If somebody can get it quicker than me, then... Okay, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. How do we compare um, that symbol with the New Testament symbolism of Christ building His church upon the rock? Is there a difference? I, I would agree. There is no difference. God, the Father, and God, the Son, are uh, our, our, our solid foundation of how we learn through the Bible. Did y'all hear that? We were discussing that a rock has really, when you talk about the church, has two different applications. One is the steadiness or toughness of the rock, that the church will last forever. It will never end. The second one is that when you, you, you the people that were building would pick out a rock that was mostly square pretty close to square as much as they could make it, and then everything of the building referred back to that square. So the church is the... Right. Yes. Okay. The rocks are always there. It's, it's, they don't move away. We do as individuals. Exactly. Okay, yes. What about the dove? When someone mentions the dove, what's that a symbol of? Okay, the spirit descended like a dove. Okay, 
and they heard the voice that said, this is my son. Here, uh, Okay. Noah used the, the dove as to go out and check the, how, what the water level was. Okay. What do we what do we think of today when we think of a dove? Peace. Peace. Okay. That's used as a peace symbol with us. And at weddings, they sometimes they release the white doves. So. Um, I'm not sure that um, the dove that we know of today is basically the same uh, since here in Arkansas we have a dove season and some people go out and, and kill them. But uh, I, think, I still think that we, we need to realize that the symbol of the dove is that it symbolizes the Holy Spirit showered upon us. Um, it symbolizes the, the Word of God uh, proclaiming His Son. So, what do you what do you think of as the lamb? What okay? What's the significance about sheep that's used in the in the Bible? Okay, they're what? They're what? No, they're not. They can. Okay. You hear you hear the sheep led to the slaughter. I mean, you know, they they are. But when you think of Jesus, do you think of him as a weak lamb? Why not? Okay. Perfect sacrifice. Meek, not weak. Okay. Was he meek when he drove them out of the temple? I'm sorry? Absurdive? Okay. What, if we're to be followers of Christ, what kind of an example do we take from the life of Christ? Is sorry, fearless? Okay, face the devil. Okay. about uh, peer pressure? Did he fall to peer pressure? 
He was a leader. I'm, I've always remembered, this is probably 15 years ago, we had a, a Christmas party back in, in, in the activity center. And part of it was Warren had told us that, uh, was trying to show us peer pressure. And he had a half a gallon of buttermilk. And the peer pressure was that those of us that had never tasted buttermilk, the rest of them put the pressure on us to taste it. I didn't. I'm not about to. Um, but that, that was the example of, you know, how peer pressure can change some. And so, um, but I think that with Christ as, uh, the Lamb, He showed love for His fellow man. And I think that's what, uh, what we have to do also. What about the symbol of anointing with oil? What does that mean to you? Sorry? Healing? Tender love? Sorry? Serving? I'm sorry? The end? First Samuel 16:13 says, "And the Lord said, "Arise, anoint him, for this is he." Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. This is the anointing of David as king. Ernest? Yes. That's how the prophets showed that. What about the passage that says, If you're sick, call the elders, and they will anoint you with oil. That's why I beat you to it. Warren told me one time, yeah, it's WD-40. So, uh, but, um, was there any true healing power with the anointing of oil? Okay. Okay. Keeps the skin soft from being infected. Okay. Exactly. I remember my. I'm sorry. I shouldn't. I remember my grandmother. Talking about coal oil and sugar. So, good for the group, yeah. 
Yeah, you'd be scared to cough. Exactly. Yes. So, um, but I, I, I do think that it is not what we think of as our oil today. I think it is a, it was a uh, medicinal oil that they used back then. You want to say something, Mike? Uh, you're talking about when uh, she had the scented oils and washed his feet, and Judas said that, you know, could have sold that for. Yeah, I think that uh, that was a that was a symbolic gesture of. Yes. Sure. <laughs> okay. 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 Kind of like quinine. Yes, David. Right. Right. Exactly. You know, just like the passage here, it says in the Lord... Uh, uh, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. He was anointed king, and the Lord was with him as long as he uh, obeyed God's commandments. So, exactly. Right. And I think that that's where, just like, you know, me asking Orrin, as, as an elder, what oil do you use? I mean, you know, that's, that is a biblical, spiritual to where you call the elders and they come and visit you and they pray for you 
and with you. Uh, and that, to me, that's the symbolism of what the anointing of the oil is, that uh, the difference between first century Christians and Christians of today. Too many times, uh, you know, we don't, we don't call the elders and ask them to pray for us. And that's their duty. And that's one of the things that we should not, as Christians, be afraid to go and talk to the elders and ask them for the prayers and everything. So, let's go to the next slide, please. I'm sorry that uh, this one didn't come out as 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 good, but this is the uh, the other. Um, email that I sent you, which is symbolic numbers used in Revelation. And I think that as we, as we go through Revelation, we need to remember the symbols that, and a lot of this is used in the Old Testament. So if you hear the number seven, what do you think of? Perfection, completeness. So if you if you look at combinations of seven, um, okay, okay, six is seven minus one, which is in imperfection. Evil, deception. Three and a half. Half of seven is incompleteness. And three and a half is used in Revelation. So we have to realize that it's talking about being incomplete. The number ten. In the Old Testament and some in the New Testament, it means... Human completeness, fullness, or power. So if you look at the 144,000, if a thousand means completeness of uh, then the 144,000 just means that it's completeness intensified. That's all the 144,000 means is a symbol. Is that it complete. The saints are going to be complete on the day of uh, the judgment day. And this is where, this is why we have to look at the Old Testament and what their symbols were. Because we have to realize that John was writing to first century Christians that knew the Jewish laws and the Greeks and the Gentiles that were converted, you know, had a, a mixed understanding of it. And when you attended church 
whether you were Jew or Greek or whatever, you know, that there's, there was always that confusion of the Jews trying to get the Gentiles to follow the Jewish law or become a Jew to come into the church. So, questions about symbols. Well, completeness. Twelve is... um, See, seven is, uh, seven, the number seven is three plus four, which is perfection. Three is the number of deity in the Old Testament. And four is the number of creation, the cosmic number humanity. So three plus four equaled perfection. And so... The symbol here is that they multiplied three times four to come up with twelve, which is religious completeness. And then so twelve times a thousand is completeness intensified. Very, very confusing. George. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Yes, sir. Okay. Chosen of God. Okay. Like I say, I, I I didn't realize that this wouldn't be as plain up here, but I emailed this to you so you can use it as you as you study and then use also the the page of the symbolisms comparison the Old Testament and the New Testament. Yes. So 666 is imperfection, evil, and deceit. So it's, uh, and, you know, now be aware that don't let your imagination run wild. And understand that using numbers symbolically in apocalyptic literature is not the same as the occult numerology. Okay? So don't confuse numbers with the occult. Okay? We have to... Yes? And I, and I wouldn't do that in a thousand years. 
I would, would hope not. Sure, exactly. Yes. Right. Exactly. I caution you to don't be afraid of revelation. Um, it's you will always hear me say that the. To me, the purpose of this book is to show that God is in control. No matter what trials, tribulations we go through, as long as we are strong in the faith and follow God's commandments, that good will always win out in the end. And to me, that is, I think this is why John wrote this epistle to the seven churches. Um, and we'll get into next week the seven church, uh, we'll start on the churches. I've sent an email to Eric. Um, we only have 11 class periods. And I've asked him to at some point in time, let's divide this up into two parts. So if you could tolerate me teaching the second part of Revelation later on, that we'll, we'll see about that. But for now, we're going to follow the, the class outline, and we'll start with um, the chapter 2 next week. Thank you all very much.